This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. So if your mom is my mom, and my dad is your dad, and we're both born on October 11th, then you and I are like sisters. Sisters? Hallie, we're like twins. It's The Parent Trap, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to this film's podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. A little bit of a change of pace from Watchmen <laughs> this week. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, we watched The Parent Trap, the 1998 Disney version. Uh, we have a lot to get to. Uh, no. Uh, no guess who. No guess who. But we have everything else. Okay. Uh, but we have everything else. So we're going to get right into it. If you have not read or watched The Parent Trap, uh, the book is known as Lisa and Lottie is what it is based on. If you have not read or watched, we are going to have a brief summary of both the book and the film. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Lisa and Lottie follows the exploits of twin girls who have been separated since birth and meet for the first time at summer camp. They decide to switch places with Lisa pretending to be Lottie and going to live with their mother and Lottie pretending to be Lisa and going to live with their father. The twins are able to keep up their ruse for several weeks, in the meantime having fun getting to know their estranged parents and running into roadblocks as they pretend to be each other. When their father announces that he's going to marry a snobby woman named Irene, Lottie falls ill from stress. Meanwhile, their mother happens to see a photo of the girls taken at camp and figures out the ruse. Lisa and her mother arrive at their father's home and help nurse Lottie back to health. During this time, mother and father reconnect, causing Irene to leave in anger. Lottie recovers, the parents remarry, and everyone lives happily ever after. All right, and if you have not seen the movie, here is the plot of The Parent Trap. In the summer of 1998, 11-year-olds Annie and Hallie attend the same summer camp where they quickly form an intense rivalry despite looking surprisingly like each other. After an escalating prank war, the two girls are sent to the isolation cabin where they begin to bond over their similarities. They discover that each has a divorced parent and that each has never met their other parent, but that they each have a picture of their missing parent. The picture reveals that they are, in fact, twins whose parents separated when they were babies and did not tell them about the other twin. In order to meet the opposite parents they grew up with, the girls hatch a plan to switch places and go home with the wrong parent. In London, Hallie, pretending to be Annie, meets her mother, the family's butler and her grandfather. In California, Annie, pretending to be Hallie, meets her father, the family nanny Chessie and Meredith Blake, their father's new young paramour who is only interested in Nick, who is their father, for his money. Annie calls Hallie and warns her that their dad will be marrying Meredith soon. A lot of nonsense happens, but ultimately Hallie and her mother fly to America where the whole plot is revealed to both parents and the girls set them up on a date, hoping to rekindle their past love. The parents play along but do not intend to get back together, instead planning to figure out some sort of mutual custody situation. 
The girls, unsatisfied with this, refuse to tell their parents which girl is which unless they agree to take the girls camping, where they hope the parents will fall back in love. Uh, the parents agree, but at the last moment, Elizabeth, their mom, decides Meredith should go in her place. The girls spend the trip pranking Meredith until she snaps and forces Nick to choose between her or the girls. Nick obviously chooses his daughters, and Meredith leaves them. Elizabeth and Annie go back to England, but Nick and Hallie show up, and Nick and Elizabeth finally kiss, reuniting. The parent trap has succeeded. There you go. That's the book and the film. If you have not seen either, I have quite a few questions. Let's get into them. In was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So as we're introduced to our two main characters in the film, they are, as I mentioned in the summary, Hallie and Annie. Hallie is the American who is living uh, with her father, and Annie is the, the British girl who is living with her mother in somewhere in England, London, I assume. Um, and the, uh, Hallie and her father though, uh, live on a vineyard. Her father owns a vineyard. Um, they're very wealthy. And I wanted to know if her and her dad run a vineyard together in the book. Um, no, they do not. In the book, her dad is a composer slash conductor and they live in an apartment building with a bunch of other like artist types. Uh, mm. I think both of these are fun. I don't really have a preference to one or the other. Uh, the Napa Vineyard is a great set piece. Um, I, I think doing something closer to the book would have been equally as fun, though. Yeah, I think uh, obviously the 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 movie's version allows for the the gold digging wife or yeah. uh, fiance storyline, whereas if he was a composer living right. in an apartment building, I would assume he's not very wealthy. I mean, he he's successful yes, in the book, right? Um, but but not like not like millionaire. Yeah, wealthy. not like Nick is successful yeah. in the movie. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely works better for the movie's plot with which we'll get to whether or not that's in the book at all. But uh, the plot with Meredith. Uh, so then we're introduced to Annie. Um, after we kind of get to know Hallie a little bit and her dad, we're introduced to Annie, who shows up to the summer camp in a limousine uh, with her family's butler, uh, which I can't remember his name. Martin, Martin I believe is his yes. name. And uh, he drops her off and they have a very sweet relationship um, where he's cares, clearly cares about her very uh, deeply. And they have this like choreographed long handshake thing that they do together. That's very cute. And I want to know if any of that relationship came from the book. Alas, it does not. Uh, Martin is not in the book at all. But I do like the movie's decision to add him, um, giving Annie someone else that she's close with, kind of similar to how Hallie has Chessie. Does Hallie's character, which I don't know which one's which, like which one's least. Cause, so just to clarify, obviously, we got it in the summary, but the names are different. Yes. <laughs> uh, in the book, they are Lisa and Lottie, but in the film, they're Hallie and Annie. Right. So Lisa is the Hallie equivalent and Lottie is the Annie equivalent. Okay. And I will do my best to say both names when I'm comparing. Okay. I guess what I was asking is, does Hallie's equivalent character have the, the nanny? Like, does one of them in the book have like a nanny or something? There is an equivalent character to Chessie. Yeah. Um, Lisa and her father have a housekeeper named Rosa. Um, they don't start off close, though. Like, it's not the same type of relationship. Okay. But there is kind of an equivalent character. Okay. Once they get to the summer camp, we're introduced. They're kind of setting the stage of the summer camp, which is basically where the film opens after the, the intro credits sequence, which kind of sets up the backstory. 
they we're we're seeing like the whole camp and i just this is a little detail it doesn't really go anywhere i just it was a little gag and i i didn't realize it at first because i saw this boy and i and i written a question about like this being a co-ed camp uh and then i realized there's the gag that he accidentally this little boy accidentally got sent to an all-girls camp and he's like mm-hmm. the only boy there and then at the end like the only thing that really matters is at the end they all like like him they're like hope you come back next year or whatever yeah uh and i wanted to know if uh if if there is a random boy accidentally at an all-girls camp because i know they go to a camp i don't know if it's an all-girls camp and if so is there a boy accidentally there and they just let him stay (laughs) it is an all-girls camp in the book but there's not accidentally a boy there um it's definitely something kind of of its time in the movie like that kind of gag yeah but i think it is a fun background gag mm-hmm. like especially when he's promising to come back at the end yeah like you just see him occasionally in the background yeah it's fine i like that they don't kick him out they're like sure yeah. you can stay whatever who cares <laughs> thought that was fun so then we're kind of establishing the characters of Hallie and Annie beyond what we first got when they were just introduced. And Hallie is a uh, fencing. They're like doing some sort of fencing class at the summer camp. And Hallie is like really good and she's beaten everybody. And then Annie walks by and the the whoever the fencing instructor, you know, like the, the person in charge of the fencing class is like, is, any, is anybody else, any other challengers? And Annie's like, I'll do it. Uh, and then she puts on a fencing mask and they don't see each other before the fencing thing. And then they both have masks on so they can't see each other. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if people, obviously, if you've seen the movie, you know, but if you don't know what a fencing mask looks like, it it's like a metal, very fine metal mesh wire that covers your face. So you can't, unless you're right up against it, you can't yeah. see the person's face behind it. So they start fencing each other, not realizing that they, you know, are identical twins. And I want to know if any of that fencing scene came from the book. I assumed not felt very much like a movie thing, at least like the whole big because it turns into a big like thing yeah, they, running all over yeah. camp and i assumed you know that probably wasn't in the book but uh any of the fencing stuff i've really thought that scene was a lot of fun so i don't know if it was in the book it is a lot of fun it is not from the book they don't fence in the book at all um i really absolutely prefer the movie's version here um in the book they just immediately see each other as they're getting off the buses and i like that the movie one gives it a little bit more time mm-hmm. before they meet. They don't just like immediately see each other. And I also love the drama of them interacting without seeing each other. And then like the moment where they take off their helmets and everybody's like, <gasps> yeah, yeah. It's a very fun bit of dramatic irony for the audience. Yeah. Cause we know obviously. Yes. And so it's very fun that they don't know and they're fencing and stuff and like trash talking each other and whatnot. Uh, yeah, a really fun little scene, a pretty well choreographed little fencing scene. Uh, if I, uh, you know, all things considered mm-hmm. for the kids movie, I thought it was a pretty well done uh, little fencing scene with some silly stuff mixed in. But every sword fight has silly stuff. Yeah. The part where she like runs and like jumps off the tree. <laughs> OK, <laughs> sure. Well, it has some kind of like callbacks to stuff you typically see in yes. sword fight yes. scenes, which is a lot of fun. Yes. They're, yeah, definitely doing the Yeah. The, the classic stuff. We even get like the 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 Princess Bride moment where the sword flies out Mm -hmm. of her hand and then she jumps up on the hay bales and then catches it. Yeah. Yeah. We get, you know, yeah, they're definitely doing some, some, some very minor homages to like classic, not specifically to anything necessarily, but just like classic, your classic dual scenes. scenes. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it is fun. So then after they now realize that they're identical, they don't know that they're related yet because they're dumb, I guess. But (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, it's one thing if you guys look kind of alike. They are identical. Right. I would, I would have questions. <laughs> yeah. It's not like they look a, a little bit alike. They are identical. Um, but, you know, whatever. Sure. Fair enough. I'll take I'll I'll buy it for the for the film's sake. But they uh, so they still don't know that they're uh, they're related yet, but they're they have now formed a rivalry because they're both really good at fencing. But Annie beats Hallie in fencing and they kind of trash talk each other. And then later that night, uh, Annie is playing poker with everybody and she's cleaning up at poker. And then Hallie comes in and they have a poker game. And I wanted to know if the poker game was in the book because we talked about this in the prequel. But I want to talk about the poker hand. Oh, they do not play poker in the book. I also like this scene, though. I think it's a lot of fun. And I, I love the shots of, like, the pot mm -hmm. with items like hair clips yeah. and nail polish in it. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah. That's, a cl that's also kind of a classic uh, movie thing where people are playing poker mm -hmm. and they just throw, like, random things in with no really, like, identifying a, a, a way to, like, figure out what the value of any of these yeah. things are. They just, I guess if everybody agrees that, you know, one thing of nail polish is equivalent to five hair <laughs> bobby pins or whatever, I'm like, sure, I don't know. But uh, in this hand, and we mentioned this in the prequel, because I did, there was, like, a, one of the fun facts in the movie, if you didn't listen to the prequel, there, uh, the, Annie pulls a straight flush, like mm -hmm. an ace through five straight flush, and she's like, well, obviously I won. And then Hallie lays down her cards and she has also a straight flush, but just a, a better straight flush. She has a, a royal flush, which is 10 through eight or no, jack through eight, jack, queen, king, ace, jack, queen, king, ace. Yeah, 10 through ace, which is like the highest possible mm -hmm. hand you can get, I think, depending on the rules. And so, yeah, she pulls a royal flush. And the math in, in the prequel that I found <laughs> was that essentially for those two hands to be pulled in the same hand of poker is it would take more hands of poker being played than have been played in Vegas for the last 100 years or something mm -hmm. like that. Like the odds are just astronomical. <laughs> They're uh, both really good at poker. That's not how poker works. <laughs> you don't, you don't pull a really good hand by being really good at poker. You can bluff your way out of stuff, but yeah, that's, and you know, knowing the odds and whatnot is a good thing to know. But yeah, you don't you don't pull a good hand by being good they're at poker. Unless really, they're cheating. They're really lucky at poker, yeah. which must be hereditary. Yeah, there I you guess. go. That or <laughs> they're cheating the and the movie just didn't so show us them cheating. Because that could be the other option, is they're somehow, you know, they're like card sharks in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was the other option. But anyways, the, the 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 thing that one of the things I saw is like the odds of winning like the Powerball or whatever is it's like this this hand of poker is like 10 billion times more unlikely or it's some <laughs> ridiculous number uh than like winning the lottery so yeah it's just uh, but you know it's it it's a movie for kids with poker you got to make it obvious what's going on then uh, again there's still the rivalry going on and so after they've now each bested each other in a, a game of skill of some sort uh it escalates to a prank war mm -hmm. and i wanted to know if any of the prank war was in the book because this is actually I, as we were watching it one of the things I remembered most from this movie and I had seen this movie when I was a kid and I remember liking it I probably saw it a couple times yeah because uh, this came out when I was like ten or eleven or whatever so I was like right in the exact yeah age we were range. both <laughs> right in the right in the target age range yeah. for this one yeah but uh, so I I never I definitely saw this movie at least a couple times and remember liking it as a kid but I I was wondering if any of the prank work because that stuff really vividly stuck in my head. A yeah. lot of the elements of that. 
And that is not from the book. Um, they initially don't like each other in the book, but it's over very quickly. Oh, okay. Um, I am glad that they added the prank war. Um, one, again, I think it's fun. And also, I think it fits with other movies in this genre from this era. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely fun for sure. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it was, it, And I didn't remember this. I thought it was very funny. One of the pranks they do is they move all of their bedroom furniture up on the roof. Mm-hmm of one of the cabins maybe on of their i don't know but and it reminded me we did a similar prank when i was in scotland with college marching band. did i ever tell you about this prank that we did no i don't think so <laughs> we so we had gotten pranked we would routinely the drum majors would routinely mess with us the drum line mm-hmm. by like stealing our drumsticks and hiding them mm-hmm. places like before we were about to perform and it, it was like a whole thing I mean, it was fine. It was whatever. It was fun, fun. But so we, one of the final like nights we were there, we were able to. One of the people on the drum line was dating one of the drum majors, so we were able to steal their key <laughs> to their bedroom because they stayed together. We were in like two person rooms, and we were staying at like a college or something like that, in like the dorms, and we were able to steal one of their keys, and we took every piece of furniture. And everything in there, not stuff in the closets, but the beds, the nightstands, the desks, everything. And we moved all of their furniture and everything into our kitchen. We had like a kitchenette (laughs) on our floor and we reset up their bedroom exactly how it was in their bedroom in our kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) Identically. Uh, yeah, it was reminded me of that because it's just like the beds are just not where they're supposed to be. There's pictures of it somewhere. I have pictures of them, and they were just like, "Well, I guess we're gonna sleep here now." I mean, we <laughs> moved everything back for them afterwards. So now that the prank war has escalated to the point where uh, staff is involved and very upset because uh, they get like plastered with feathers or whatever during mm-hmm. one of the pranks, they send both of the girls to the isolation cabin. Is this cabin in the middle of nowhere? I don't know if it's in the middle of nowhere, somewhere. It's like away from the rest of the yeah. camp. And they they, they marched them out there. And I gotta talk about this, this little moment. They marched them all out there with the whole camp. Yeah. <laughs> and then they all get there, and then the camp leader is like, All right, the rest of you go back to camp. Like as soon as they get there. And it's like, why did you bring them out there? It's so weird. Uh, but they they send them to this isolation cabin. So the two of them have to stay there together and uh, unsupervised seems like a terrible idea to put your two most unruly kids in a cabin by themselves but whatever and so this is where they kind of get to bond and and learn about each other and i want to know if the isolation cabin like and that's how they get to know each other if that came from the book it does not come from the book they don't get sent to an isolation cabin but i am dying to know from anyone who went to a camp like this if this is actually a thing my guess would be if it, there's anything, it's not. My guess would be they might put you by yourself in a cabin, but not like far away from. Yeah. It, like well, it I, might, it might, they might have a cabin designated for like a kid who's misbehaving or like maybe even multiple, but my guess would be like a single and like you're just there by yourself. Like you don't get to stay with the other kids, but it's like probably would be in this main area where. Yeah, all the that would be my guess. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I, I think a similar thing happens in Adam's Family Values. If I'm remembering I've correctly, I've not seen that one. So I think they get sent to like a separate cabin at one point. Um, it does feel more like a movie trope 
than something that would happen yeah. in real life, but I need to know for sure. Yeah. So if you ever went to sleep away camp, yeah. let me know. Well, that was actually one of my questions. So you obviously never did go to like any no, sort of. I didn't yeah. ever go to a sleep away camp. I did like day camp. Yeah. A couple times. So I did the only sleepaway camp I did was Boy Scout camp, like mm-hmm. summer camp, which was like a week long. It wasn't like multiple weeks or anything. It was a week long and it was all uh, it was Boy Scouts at the time. Scouts was only boys. Mm-hmm. Um, I think since it's become co-ed, I believe I no very idea. recently, I believe scouting went completely co-ed. But at the time, it was just boys. They uh, and so I did that several times. And I, I'm trying to remember if we had anything like that. Never. I think the only thing, the closest thing was that there would occasion, I think my true, and so that was, that's also different because the way Boy Scout camp, summer camp works, at least in our area, was you, you're in troops. So mm-hmm. like, it's all your kid, there's, there was probably like 15 or 20 kids in my troop, which was like the local like area where I lived. Right. Basically. So you knew all of those. So I knew yeah. all of those kids. Yeah. And so you all camped together with your like leaders of your group. Mm-hmm. And so like, you went and did other stuff with the other troops and everything, but you like the, your camping area was just people you knew. And so, and, and your troop leaders were kind of like in charge of like keeping (laughs) things in line or whatever. The only thing I can think is I might remember is that if there was a kid who was like unruly at night, who was like staying up too late or being obnoxious or sneak, like doing whatever, the the troop leaders i think would set up an extra tent near them mm-hmm. and make that kid sleep in that tent by himself mm-hmm. like near them basically yeah would would be like the closest thing i think i remember that happening but i might be making so you guys up. camped in tents you yes didn't we also cabins. did tents yeah we didn't have cabins we had tents uh there were weird there were boy scout summer camp tents which if anybody ever did that they're not normal tents they're literally just a giant canvas tarp mm-hmm. and then you have pl- uh, we had uh like basically like wood pallets but like long as like floorboards basically and so you and the way we always set them up was you literally would just set it up like a rain fly you wouldn't Mm -hmm. even use like walls or doors we just had it like a roof and you would just sleep with every like you just Mm. out like i don't like that it was actually way better because if you (laughs) kept the the we were in missouri in the middle of summer fair in canvas tent if you let the doors shut and it was it was a thousand degrees in those <laughs> things. So you literally had to use them just like a rain fly to get any airflow. And it also kept them like from like spiders from getting on you. It was a whole thing. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the, that's the closest experience I have. I never did like a co-ed cabin sleep away camp or anything like that. So, all right. The thing that finally allows them to figure out that they are in fact twins is they both have this separate halves of a picture, which we see taken at the beginning of the film, which is when their parents got married on the Queen Elizabeth. When they split up, they tore the picture in half and each child has a picture of their other parent that they didn't grow up with. And I wanted to know if that torn picture is like a key thing because that, that felt like it had to come from the book because it feels like such a pivotal element. Mm. This is actually not from the book. Really? Yeah. And I much prefer the movie's version. So what happens in the book is that Lisa Hallie has a picture of her mother that she got from her dad. And she shows it to Lottie, Annie, who, of course, recognizes her mother. Right. Um, and, and I'll grant that the book's version is probably more <laughs> realistic. Um, yeah. But I love the drama of putting the two ripped halves together. Yeah. That's chef's kiss. Yeah. 
Uh, also want to clarify for there's probably people who have seen the original Disney movie, the 1961. Yeah. Some of this stuff may have been in that that they then copied uh, yes. and put in this. Yes, I believe it is. Wouldn't surprise me because because one of the things that we mentioned in the prequel, if you didn't listen, is one of the screenwriters. It was his last credited screenwriting role uh, on this film was the guy who wrote the the Disney original one, the 1961 version or whatever it was, whatever year it was in the 60s. He wrote that. He also worked on this screenplay, so I'm assuming they probably borrowed quite a bit of yeah. elements from that to incorporate into this. The stuff that they thought worked really well, at least. So I'm sure a lot of that's, the stuff in this happened in the in that movie, but not in the book. So now they they realize they are twins and that they're, they're, they hatch this plan. I believe Hallie hatches this, or yeah, I think Hallie hatches this plan to basically switch places when they leave camp and each of them go home with the other parents so that the way they can meet those parents uh, and get to know them and stuff since they'd never met them uh, in their whole lives. And in order to do this, though, they need to look identical and Annie has longer hair and doesn't have pierced ears. So they cut her hair, then they have to pierce her ears. And I wanted to know if the ear piercing scene that is in the movie, if that happens in the book, if they have to pierce her ears so that she looks like Hallie. There's no ear piercing or hair cutting in the book. Uh, again, I love this addition. Um, I think having to physically alter one of the girls' appearances really ups the ante. In the book, the only physical difference between the two is that Lottie wears her hair in braids and Lisa doesn't, yeah. which is pretty boring. Yeah. Um, like, that's not interesting. No. Um, also, that ear piercing scene is just... An iconic. It's burned in my memory. Yeah, from watching it as a child. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, uh, we talked about it in the prequel, but that was Roger Ebert's only his, his only mis- criticism his big of misgiving this film about this film. Is he was worried it was because I mean it does basically show you everything you need to do. Yeah, uh, you know, and so he was worried that a bunch of little kids were going to start piercing their own ears after watching that scene in the movie. So it's like showing you know it's like showing somebody <laughs> making a bomb in a movie. It's like. Eh, Maybe that's not the most responsible thing, <laughs> but I yeah whatever. It's I wonder fun. if there was an uptick in in home. There probably was. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised because uh, yeah, I mean, the, like I said, the movie shows you basically yeah <laughs> all the stuff. Not that there's that many, but like it shows you pretty much <laughs> step by step what you know the kind of a, a way to do it. And so yeah, I could see people probably not the best way to do it. I'm sure holding a raw potato to your ear is not like ideal for <laughs> like you know. Yeah, cleanliness okay. or whatever, <laughs> like piercing <laughs> into a raw potato. But, you know, the idea it makes sense. Like, I get it. They have now returned home uh, to their irrespective homes, you know, their, the opposite homes. And how, everything's going fine with Anne or with Hallie in, in, in England with her family because they all just kind of immediately like, yeah, sure. But in America, in California, Annie with Hallie's dad or with, you know, with her dad and that family, they have a dog Mm -hmm. and the dog is sus. He does not. He is like, (laughs) this is not. The dog knows that something is afoot. Yes. I want to know if the dog element came from the book because I thought that was clever. It does. Yeah. There's something very, very similar. It's not her dog, but somebody else who lives in their apartment building has a dog and that dog similarly does not recognize Lottie slash Annie. Mm-hmm. pretending to be lisa slash hallie there you go that makes sense all right getting to the main conflict of the film i mean obviously beyond the the parent switching or the kid switching stuff the main set of sort of driving drama in the film is that nick is 
has a new girlfriend when when Annie returns pretending to be Hallie from camp. Uh, she finds out that he has a new girlfriend, a, a much younger girlfriend. She's 26 mm. and he's in his 40s or whatever. And uh, they are actually about to, they're engaged or going to be engaged very shortly. Uh, they're getting married in two weeks, actually, <laughs> in the film, <laughs> uh, which I thought was crazy because um, we find out that she was gone for eight weeks to camp. Right. And apparently Hallie did not know Meredith yeah. beforehand. Yeah. So while she was gone for eight weeks, they met, started dating, and now they're getting married within a 10-week span, yeah. which is just wild. <laughs> yeah. Less than three months. Uh, that being said, uh, you know, I, whatever. It, just, I mean, I guess it, when you have the money to yeah. pull off that kind of wedding schedule. I'm yeah. Sure. And also, I, get, I can understand the idea with him, too. He's like in his 40s. He's like, I don't want to wait any long. Like, I don't want to, like, yeah. why wait? Whatever. I guess could be part of it, but it's still crazy. It was like, yeah, less than three months and they're getting married. Uh, but I wanted to know if that whole plot of her, of Meredith being the gold digger, moving in on uh, their dad, if that's like a, a subplot mm. or main plot of the book. There is a similar character slash situation in the book. Uh, her name is Irene, and she has a similar vibe to Meredith. She's like a young, hot socialite who wants to get with their dad because he's successful and wealthy, at least to some degree. Yeah. Well, um, the, you said you said they lived in New York. The, well, they live in. Um, or no, because it's, it's in it's in Europe. It's they in live Europe. in Vienna. Okay, I think. So yeah, could, if he could be like. In a nice apartment yeah. in Vienna. Could yeah. Be very, could be fairly wealthy, yeah, honestly. And they do eventually get engaged, but we really don't interact with Irene much in the book. We do a little bit, um, definitely not as much as Meredith. And then at the end, she kind of just leaves. Mm -hmm. She's like, screw this, I'm out. I think the movie made a really good call to expand Meredith's role and make her the central villain. That's something that the book kind of lacks. Mm -hmm. I think overall the movie utilizes her character in a far more interesting way. Yeah. Uh, and since you brought it up, I want to talk about this <laughs> because it seems like weddings just happen awfully fast in this universe. So you mentioned Nick and Meredith. They go from uh, apparently not knowing each other to wanting to get married within the span of like eight weeks. Yeah. Um, I think they might have known each other. I think because doesn't she work for him? I think she's like a PR person right, for the wine like company. She's like a PR person. I guess we don't know if if he, but we know that Hallie has yes, never. Yes, we met know her. Hallie doesn't. Really so know we don't who know. She is. I guess how long he's like known yeah, her. They may have known each other longer previously. Yeah. Fair enough. But <laughs> I want to talk about this because I know that this is probably just like an issue with like a script oversight. But I noticed upon this rewatch, so at the beginning of the movie, we see uh, Nick and Elizabeth getting married on the boat. Mm -hmm. And we see the bottle of wine that they drink from. And then later on, he has uh, one of the same bottles of wine. And he's like, this is the wine from our wedding. Right. But when the twins recreate the date for I them. about this, yeah. And... The mom, Elizabeth, says they're recreating the night we met. Yeah. And now I know that because they, they recreated just, on the boat. Yes, like, they recreated the on the boat, and it's a whole like it's a carbon copy of like yeah. the photo, like which that. we know is from their wedding. Yeah. Yeah, it is weird. I don't like, and like, and I said, I know it's probably just a script oversight. Yeah. 
But also, in in canon, maybe in canon, they met and got married on the same night. Oh, on the oh yeah, I was gonna say it could be they could have been on like a multi week cruise and they met and then got married by the end of it, (laughs) maybe, or they did it on the same night. Who knows? Maybe that's why it didn't work out. But yeah, no, it is. I I think that would actually be a great explanation for why it didn't work out. Yeah. We were on a booze cruise and just decided, <laughs> let's do it. And, oh, this was a mistake. Yeah, absolutely. So we mentioned Chessie a little bit earlier, but she is the nanny slash housekeeper for Nick and Hallie in the U.S. And in the film, uh, she figures out that that Hallie is not Hallie, yeah. that it's Annie. She knows something is up. Like, she knows something immediately. Up, is up pretty much immediately. She can just tell from like the way she's acting and stuff. And she so she figures it out, but she keeps it a secret, which I thought was really cool. And I liked that a lot. And I wanted to know if that if the if that character figuring it out was part of the book or something. Like if like, Mm -hmm. you know, her because you said her character Rosa is in the book. If Rosa figures it out and keeps it a secret. Yeah. uh, Like I mentioned, um, Lisa and her dad do have a housekeeper in the book. Her name is Rosa, uh, but she's not a major character or even really like a secondary character i would maybe a tertiary character at best in the book and she and lisa are not close Mm. um so she doesn't figure it out in the book but once again i do think that the movie made a really good call to expand that character into chessie Mm -hmm. elisa ann walter as you said absolutely crushes it and 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 i love that she's just fully on the twins side yeah yeah She's great. Yeah. If you don't know, uh, it, it, was a, it was surprising to me. I think I mentioned it in the prequel, but uh, Lisa Ann Walter, who plays Chessie, is uh, one of the main characters. Uh, Miss Simonetti, right? Um, no, something like that. Now you've said the wrong name, name and now I can't and think of what her name is. She's on Abbott Elementary. Yeah. Anyways. It's not Simonetti. No, it's not. It's something like that, though. It's something Italian. Shimenti. Shimenti. That's, that's what it. it is. Yeah. She's Miss Shimenti on Abbott Elementary. Yeah, she's so. great. But yeah, she's fantastic in this role. Yeah. She's so much fun. I do have a side note, though. Uh, if I were Chessie, every time Hallie was like, I'm growing up without a mother, I'd be like, okay, well, screw me, I guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, pretty much raising this child, yeah. it would seem. So, yeah. Yeah, and for her whole life, too. It's not like she just showed up in the last yeah. couple of years. She's been there since she was born. Because she knew. Well, that's the yeah, thing. she, she remembers Annie. Annie. Yeah, she remembers her. She was And Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. So uh, move on a little bit. And this is where Nick sits down and is going to explain to Annie, well, Hallie, he thinks, that uh, him and Meredith are getting engaged. They're getting mm. married. That they are engaged and they're going to be married. And he's he's like, hey, I just wanted you to know, like, uh, what did you think? What would you think about Meredith joining the family? And there's this great gag in this scene where <laughs> Annie's like, <laughs> oh, I've always wanted a big sister and, and plays it off like she thinks that they're adopting yeah. <laughs> Meredith because she's so young. That makes sense. You know, I, I've always wanted a big sister. Now I'm going to have a big sister. Uh, but it's so nice of you to, to you know, bring her in and, and take care of her or whatever. And he's like no marrying her uh very funny and i want to know if any of that came from the book because that that got me it does not come from the book but i love it (laughs) uh heckin got him yes um and i love that in the for a moment for a second he reconsiders every single one of his life choices no 
It's even funnier <laughs> when you know that because we we talked about this in the prequel that Dennis Quaid, uh, twenty years after this, married a twenty six year old. Yeah. And it's just like that scene had to be going through his head. Right. It had to be going through his head. And I, I believe we mentioned that the the actress who plays Meredith Blake like tweeted at him. I don't know how like serious it was or if she was like like if it was good natured or ill natured. <laughs> but she tweeted at him something about like look out for the twins or something like yeah. that. Or uh, when 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 the news broke that he was marrying a twenty six year old. Anyways. Don't want to get into the that. Uh, I kind of do. So, I, what are your opinions on that? He's sixty four ish. He's in his sixties. She's twenty six. Thoughts? <laughs> Let's get canceled. You know, everyone involved in the situation is an adult. Yep. And adults can make their own choices. Yep. Personally, it gives me the ick. Yeah. To me, the what I where I come down on it, and because I thought about this a lot when I was thinking, like watching the movie and stuff, I was just kind of thinking about it in the background. I thought about it a lot, and where it comes down to me is like, yeah, they're all adults. She seemingly would. It's as far as we know, there's no like. I don't know the details of their without knowing the details of like if she like was like working for him, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know if there are any other weird power dynamics at play of like, if she was like an actress trying to like get, it. Yeah. I don't know any of that. So discounting any of that, let's say they just like met at a party or something and they didn't know each other at all or whatever. Yeah. They're all adults, whatever. The thing that's weird to me and, and it's, I would, ha I would go into that relationship. I would go in, I would approach that, that relationship very skeptically Mm -hmm. of like like i just can't fathom that they would have anything in common and that would make it weird to me like i would yeah. i would question the like i don't want to say the validity of their relationship but like the the i don't know it just again it's like like i said they're all adults they can make whatever decision they want and it's possible it's i think it's completely possible that a 26 year old and a whatever 60 year old could have like a perfectly healthy happy relationship i don't think that's like completely outlandish i don't yeah. think it's impossible i think it's totally possible but you would have to prove it to me i guess it's the point <laughs> like i would go in and be like all right now prove to me that you guys have a like a normal relationship like, yeah i mean like that much of an age gap like i said it, you're both adults cool yeah i can't stop you I don't want to stop no, you. Like yeah. that's your business. But I'm giving you major side that's eye. The thing. It's like I'm coming into this like <laughs> with side eye, whereas it's just like I want like I yeah. Prove to me that you guys actually <laughs> like each other. I don't know. That you care like and again, if you don't, if it's just if both of you go in knowing that it's just a transactional relationship, I don't care about that either. Yeah. Like if they want to admit, you know what I mean? Like it's just, I don't know. As long as everybody's, I guess, informed and knows. And I guess that's the thing I would be going in skeptical of that everybody involved there is like fully cognizant yeah, of like fully, fully informed consent. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's just interesting. It's a tough, that's a weird one. That's a weird. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I could, and the thing, cause it's, it's, it's to me, it's the thing of like, well, I would never, I can't fathom 
being that old and wanting to be, a, not not only wanting to date a 26 year old, wanting mm. to be around a 26 year old when I'm 60, I would like, I just don't want to go away from me. <laughs> I'm going to like, I, I don't want anything to do with children when I'm 60 years old. And I'm sorry, I know 26 obviously isn't a child, but when you're 60, they might as well be. <laughs> and I just like, I can't like you again, you would just have to like, I don't know. I would be very skeptical that. Yeah. But I could be proven wrong. Like I, could, yeah. I would go in, would try to go in with an open mind, be like, "Yep, maybe so." Look at that. They, look how great their relationship. I is. do find youths exhausting. <laughs> Anyways, all right, done with that tangent. Uh, though we move on from there, they, w- things kind of escalate it, without a lot of explanation. It, things get a little messy. They all end up at a hotel together, basically. It's not that there's no explanation. There is, but it's, there's a lot of moving parts going on. Yeah. Where basically Hallie uh, pretending well, Hallie, to be Annie. Uh, Hallie gets found out by the grandfather. Yes. By their grandfather, who encourages her to tell her mother. Yes, and she does. And so they're yeah. going to fly back. Yes, and, and, and her mother thinks that her father also yes. knows what's going on. But he does not. But yet. he doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Yet. So they get to this hotel, they're all there, and there's all these moving parts because the grandfather knows, well, he's not there, but the butler knows mm-hmm. he's there. Uh, Elizabeth, the mom, knows she's there. Uh, and then Meredith is also there, but she doesn't know anything. Yeah, she Nick's thinks there. they're scoping out the hotel for the wedding. Yes, because her and Nick are there, they think, for the wedding. Well, they are there for the wedding, yes. right? Yes. And so they're looking at the wedding, so they're there, and Nick doesn't know. And then, so there's all this hijinks of, like, people running into each other and not knowing who the other person is. There's also the side thing of Hallie's, uh, Annie, the the mom, Elizabeth, is, like, a wedding dress designer, and (laughs) Meredith recognizes her. Yeah. uh, Or recognizes her name because she really loves her wedding dresses, and so they start talking before they realize who each other are. So there's a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of hijinks and fun of like, you know, misidentification, like of just not knowing, you know, who's who and what's going on uh, until eventually all is revealed in a big chaotic scene at the pool. And I wanted to know if any of that chaos at the hotel came from the book. So, no, it doesn't. Um, There is not a scene similar to this. And I have to say that I think including this was a good call as well. I, I think you just can't have... A long lost twins mistaken identity story without this kind of scene. Yeah. With the with the hijinks and yeah. everybody like running around and and who knows what and everybody thinks somebody's everybody else. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. You do, it, it, it does make for a lot of fun, like chaos again. Mm-hmm. Where because like there's even little moments where like Meredith where Elizabeth sees Nick in the elevator with some woman, but doesn't see the woman. And then later she's at the bar with Meredith and doesn't realize she was the woman in the elevator. Like, you know, (laughs) there's all those different things going on and it's, yeah, it's a lot of good fun. So after this all happens, they figure out what's going on. The kids try to set them up together on a date. Like you said, they recreate their first date or whatever on the Or their wedding. Or their wedding. Or or both. We we don't know. We don't know. Uh, and take them to this this small yacht uh, where they set up uh, a recreation of that the picture basically where they which was their wedding uh, for them to have dinner hoping they'll get back together. They decide not to get you know try it again or whatever, uh, but they'll they're gonna work out something custody wise with the kids. Uh, and the next day they're kind of basically explaining that to the kids, and the kids are like, "Well, we're not gonna tell you which one of us is uh you know which one is which." until you guys take us camping because we want to go camping because he said we go camping and their hope is that on this camping trip the 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 
rekindle their mm. old their old flame or whatever. And I wanted to know if that that dynamic of them refusing to tell their parents who is who is part of the book's plotline because I thought that was fun too. It's not really, yeah. A camping trip's not in the book at all. They don't ever like throw down an ultimatum, like, "Oh, we're not going to tell you which one is which." So what happens is that near the end of the book, Lottie gets really sick, and that's what brings the parents back together. They oh. they rekindle their romance over their sickly yeah, child. That's a, a little bit of a downer. Yeah. Uh, I much prefer the camping trip. Yeah. Okay, well then that ruins my next question because my next question was: Does in, in the movie the uh, originally it was supposed to be Elizabeth, Nick, and the two girls going on the camping trip? But at the last minute, Elizabeth's like, "Oh, why don't you go, Meredith, and I'll stay back." Mm. And the kids just agree to this. So obviously, I was going to ask if this any of the camping trip and 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 all that was in the movie, but I or was in the book. But I'll just change this to the second half of my question, which is: Why do the kids agree to do this in the movie? Because <laughs> their mom's like, no, Meredith, you go. I'll stay here. And the kids are just like, oh, darn it. Okay. And they go camping. I'm like, but the whole point. Right. <laughs> that was like, they're just like, go along with it. But that was not what they wanted. <laughs> I don't get why I they mean, go along with it. I, I don't know why they don't protest more. Maybe because it was just too late. Yeah. Because like, she waits until they're literally they're about in the car, to yeah, drive yeah. away. Yeah. Which I I... I think that elizabeth knew what she was doing in this moment yes i agree with that yes Um, but the kids don't they're upset like she didn't like cue them in like this like she was you know i I agree that elizabeth knew what she was doing but i just don't i think it may like waiting until the very last second may have been part of it yeah because then they don't have right they don't yeah they don't have time to put up a big like dad can just hit the gas and go (laughs) go yeah (laughs) yeah that's fair yeah um also i know in canon that chessie was out with martin while they were out camping but i would totally watch a movie about elizabeth and chessie having a girls night (laughs) while everyone is camping yeah that would have been i would watch that movie (laughs) uh so then obviously with no camping trick they don't do the pranks on uh on on Meredith, but I had to ask. I mean, I was gonna ask. Maybe there's anything similar. You said in the book, she just uh, the the girlfriend, the evil girlfriend, just kind of disappears. But uh, in the movie, they the last prank that is the final straw after they a bunch of stuff like they put a lizard on her and stuff. But the final one is they if she takes an Ambien to go to sleep, they drag her air mattress <laughs> out into the lake and float her out into they the just lake, set her afloat. And I was like, oh, just casually drowning your dad's girlfriend as a prank. Yeah, as far as pranks go, this is a pretty serious one. Pretty intense prank. <laughs> I think if Meredith had reacted even slightly differently, it would have been understood. Like if, if her reaction was almost understandable, if she had just channeled it slightly differently, because yeah. like I, she never once mentions, Hey, your children almost murdered me. Yeah. I was on an ambient. They drug me. I could, if I rolled off the thing, I probably would have drowned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, she never mentions that. She just gets very upset and tells them to choose, you know, mm-hmm. them over her anyways. So obviously the, no, nothing like that happens. No, nothing like that happens in the book. Um, this scene is burned in my memory. I love it so much. Um, they, I believe they do go on a camping trip in the 1960s mm. in the Haley Mills movie. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think they push uh, the girlfriend out onto the lake, though. I've seen like the air mattresses weren't as popular. Uh, yeah, back then, I, so. I've seen bits and pieces of that one. I've never seen it all the way through. I think what they do is they put like honey on her feet. And then when she wakes up, they're like baby bears licking her feet, <laughs> okay. which is kind of just adorable. Yeah. Unless mama bear is like that's also borderline pretty dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And they also might not have assumed bears. They might have hoped like raccoons or right. something. Either way, still you can give them whatever. Um, yeah, still, still not great. But it's a, it's a story, obviously. Uh, there is there a moment I didn't have this in my notes, but is there a moment where the new girlfriend like ultimatums like pick them or me? No. Um, after Lottie's sick, she's mad because the the dad like wasn't taking her phone calls. Yeah. And then he eventually like he goes to his studio and she's there and she's like, it was really rude of you to not take my phone calls. And he's like, well, my kid is really sick. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, well, I guess then I know what you like value or something like like something to that effect i don't remember exactly yeah. what she and says like, and out. then she's like yeah i'm, I'm leaving okay. so just the movie just amps yeah it up so and makes it very kind climactic. of anticlimactic right okay and then my last question uh for this section was uh do the parents end up back together they do okay uh because i i will say i like normally i'm a fan of stories that don't reinforce the traditional like now that our parents are back together we can be a real family Mm because our parents that were divorced like i'm a fan of divorce i think divorces are always good (laughs) pretty much (laughs) Uh, like you know if you get to the point where you're getting a divorce you should probably have done it already Uh, a while ago (laughs) like usually like for the most part so i'm usually a fan of divorce like like slept or like you know that's a good thing splitting away from people like usually uh in very you know in most situations I understand it, you know, if you're a child of divorce, it, it is a traumatic experience. I'm not saying it's good for the kids necessarily, but I think arguably it is still better for the kids, yeah. assuming they can, everything can be handled well or whatever and figure out a good custody situation and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, co-parenting situation. But so normally I'm not into the movies that are like, wow, we got our, pa- our pa- the parents are back together and it's we're a real family. Because, again, the real family is whoever your family is and not some yep. dumb like. You like know. Real families can look like a lot of things. Yeah, that's what I mean. So like normally this. But that all being said, I think in this instance, in this movie, it works really well. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't. You know, so obviously the book is a very similar idea. Yes, they do get back together at the end. I actually think it works better in the movie because we see more of the parents interacting with each other in the movie. Yeah. And it's very obvious that they're still into each other. Yeah. In the movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would agree Um, with that for sure. Like it doesn't not work in the book. I just think it works a little better in the movie. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Natasha Richardson and Dennis Quaid have really good chemistry together in the in the film. Um, in a way that, yeah, it, it's hard to get that from the book probably in the yeah. same way. So, yeah, especially because they're not the focus. But, no. So it's just a handful of scenes we get in the movie. The two Those two are able to do a really good job um, making us believe that, you know, there is some an old flame that still burns there. All right, I got a couple questions for Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. Wow, was a lost. Yes, yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. Wasn't expecting to have any for this section, but I did have two. And the first one is, why is Annie at this camp? Uh, which I <laughs> believe would be Lottie in the, well, whoever, whichever mm-hmm. one had to. So I guess it's in, 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 in the movie version, Lottie is in London or Lottie. 
Annie is in London and Hallie is in California. And this camp, we don't, I don't think we know exactly. I think it's where it implied is. to be like on the East Coast somewhere. Really? Okay. Yeah. Because Annie or Hallie at one point says, I live across the country. She in does. California. And she does fly home. Yeah. So yeah, it's somewhere far enough that she has to fly. There. Yeah. Point of being, why? <laughs> I guess it's also, I guess it's a question why either of them are there. Because yeah. it's not like there's not millions of these camps in California. But uh, whatever. Why Why is Annie flying over from London to go to this camp? Is there any extra explanation? <laughs> or where's the, maybe the camp in the book makes more sense. I don't know. Um, so I'm pretty sure that's the reason the movie kind of glosses over this. <laughs> uh, it really doesn't make all that much sense. I guess I don't know if England has an equivalent to rustic sleepaway they summer must. camp, but I, one, surely there's something similar yeah, a little closer surely, to home. There must like be. maybe you cross the channel instead of the Atlantic Ocean. There's got to be it in England. Come on. And and the, but the other thing is is that it re- it doesn't seem like Annie's vibe. Like no, at all. No. Like she shows up in like a, a little matching like, like suit a business set woman, yeah. and like kitten heels. Yeah. Like yeah. it does not not seem like her vibe even she a little. She does drop into it very quickly. Like she does yes. like adapt to it very quickly. But yes, initially it does not seem like her her speed, her tempo. <laughs> yeah. It makes more sense in the book. Uh, Lisa slash Hallie is from Vienna. And Lottie slash Annie is from Munich. So they don't even really live that far apart. Right, yeah. Um, it's like a few hours apart, I think. The the camp and lake that they meet at is made up, I'm pretty sure. I tried to Google it and everything just took me back to the book, so I'm pretty sure it's made up. Yeah. But I, I got that the vibe was kind of that it's somewhere in between them. Yeah, which I guess in the movie it is also somewhere in between them, but in a way that makes sure. no sense. Yeah. Whereas in yeah, if it's like, you know, if in if in the book it's between these two cities in right. Europe that are like, you know, five hours apart and there's a, a summer camp two hours from each of them or something. Yeah. That kind of makes sense at least. <laughs> Uh, that they would both end up there. But in this one, it's like neither. It, yeah. it makes no sense that either of them are there in the, in the film. But they're just like, ah, who cares? Which, fine, whatever. You can, <laughs> it's a gimme. You can have your gimme to get your movie going. I don't I don't mind. Uh, so in the book, uh, Lottie slash Annie's mom sends her to this camp because she wants her to interact with other little girls and, like, spend time being a kid. They aren't wealthy in the book, and her mom spends, uh, she works a lot. To make ends meet as a single mother in the 50s. Yeah. Um, So Lottie has grown up like taking care of the house, like doing cooking and cleaning and everything, that kind of thing, which has made her really serious and like older than she is, quote unquote. So basically her mom wants her to cut loose and be a kid. That's an interesting dynamic. She's like, go to summer camp, kid. Yeah. Because that is one of the things that the movie is they're both just rich kids. Yes. <laughs> just like both obnoxiously rich children. And it's like, all right. I think that that is a, like an, a more interesting dynamic. Because I think that is another thing that would be interesting mm-hmm. is if one of them wasn't wealthy. Mm-hmm. Like there's another, something else uh, different to explore there. It's a whole different movie, obviously. Right. That would raise a whole lot of different, you know, dynamics and tensions and stuff like that. If one of the kids was like, you know, their dad was a millionaire and the other one was barely getting by with a single mom who's, you know, scraping but to get by and has to like do all the cleaning and stuff themselves i could see that you know i could i understand why disney was like let's not let's right. just make them both rich yeah. so that way we don't have to deal with that dynamic and you also you get a lot of fun set pieces that right way obviously too. yeah you get a lot of other fun stuff that comes along with that but yeah there is something interesting there for sure in the no, book. for sure 
And, and, and it doesn't sound like even the book really explores that very much. No, not at all. Yeah, which seems like it should have. I don't know. Like, Well, I guess I'm not saying <laughs> that it should have. But if that dynamic's going to be there, if the kids are going to be from starkly different, mm-hmm. like, socioeconomic <laughs> things, I feel like there, sh- there should be at least some discussion of it. Like, they would, that would, feels like I a thing would that agree. would cause resentment initially. Like, or, maybe dad should have been sending child support. Yeah. But... Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My other question is uh, my last question for Lost in Adaptation is that I also feel like this movie does not do a good job of explaining why both parents <laughs> kept this secret from their kids. There is a line, I think twice or something. Mm-hmm. It's mentioned a couple times. And the main line is Elizabeth says, you know, we came up with this arrangement so we'd never have to see each other again, is what she says at right. one point, like when her and Nick are kind of discussing this once once everything gets, you know, everything is revealed. They're kind of arguing about this. And that's like the closest we get to a reason. But it just feels like not enough. I'm just like, this is it's not like they. it's one thing if they would have known and then they ended up at the same summer camp and like, oh, my uh-huh. goodness, like if they had known they had this, uh, but they don't they just lied to them their whole yes. lives and pretended <laughs> that they didn't have a it's just nuts and i wanted to know if the move if the book expands on that at all the book also does not address why the parents chose the specific custody arrangement and again i think that's because the story knows that it doesn't make sense <laughs> if you think about it for yeah. even a second uh, this is the custody arrangement because that's what the plot demands yeah. it's a it's a gimme you have to give the story in order for it to work. Yeah. They got two gimmies in this, though. Yes, two I pretty like, Normally big you gimmies. get one. <laughs> this and the camp thing are two pretty big gimmies. Uh, the movie is also kind of vague about why the parents separated in the first place. Yeah. Uh, but the book does go into a little more detail, and basically it boils down to the dad being selfish. Okay. I will read a passage. Um, but when he, the dad, had an idea for a composition, he found it absolutely essential to go away immediately and be alone so that he could note it down and develop it. Such an idea might come when he was at a party. Uh, What's become of Palfi, his host would ask, and somebody would answer, he's probably had an idea, and his host would answer, what manners? A man can't run away whenever he gets an idea, but Mr. Palfi could and did. He even used to run out of his own apartment when he was just married. And then, when the little twins howled all day and night in the apartment, and the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra was about to give him the first performance of his first piano concerto, he simply had his grand piano carted away and installed in a studio on Ring Street. He had taken the studio in desperation in order to be able to write his musical compositions. Lisa Lottie Palfi, that's the mom's name, we'll get to that. Barely 20 years of age did not find it very cheerful. She grew desperate and sued for divorce. So basically he was never freaking around. Yeah, and that makes sense, but I also that makes the 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 custody make even less sense in the book. Like if he's I, I that, would, uh, yeah, I would argue that, that yes, you know, it does. absent of a father, <laughs> and she's like, "Well, just leave one of them with him, and that, that kid's screwed." I get like that. It's just wild because at least in the in the movie, he's a very good father. Like, yeah, he's very involved, and you know, and so it's it's at least understandable. They're both like very involved, good parents, so at least makes sense that they would be seem okay with like letting you know mm-hmm. splitting the kids up to some extent whereas there i don't know why the mom would agree to like let that dude take care of I one of their kids know. and yeah definitely should have been getting uh 
cousin. She should have taken both kids and should have been getting. <laughs> yes. Uh, what you call it? Uh, child support. Child support. Yeah. yeah, is what should have happened. But yeah. Uh, I, also, I don't know because the book takes place in the forties or what, whatever, right? Yeah, it's written in. 48 or 49. Yeah, so I don't know how, and and in Europe, I have no idea how that kind of stuff legally works there. Couldn't even begin to tell you, so that may play into it somehow, but probably not. I feel like it's a miracle they were even able to get a divorce. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know when, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, she did sue. It wasn't no fault. She sued for divorce. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, Interesting. But yeah, I also was like, I don't think this, I don't think this whole custody arrangement makes any sense. And yeah, I think it's, again, the big thing to me is that they just lied to them and don't mm-hmm. tell them that they have a sibling, which is really weird. All right, that's going to do it for my Lost in Adaptation questions. It's time now to find out what Katie thought was better in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. Uh, so very early in the book, um, right after Lisa and Lottie see each other, there's a, a line that I thought was funny. Um, so Lisa sees Lottie and she's immediately kind of hostile. And um, one of her one of her friends says to her, the nerve of her coming here with your face. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's so like delightfully yeah. vintagey. Yeah. I just come <laughs> here with your face. That's good. That's a good. Yeah, that's a good line. I'm surprised they wouldn't include that in the. Yeah, because she has friends. Like they, they yeah, each they have, each their have own like friends. a friend group. Yeah, yeah. The movie gives the girls matching lockets with like their initials on them. Uh-huh. I actually think that's a little bit overkill. I don't mind it. Like it doesn't spoil the, my enjoyment of the movie, but I, I don't think we needed it. No, I agree completely. Cause I thought the same thing while we were, while we we're watching the movie. Cause they find the, if they do the locket thing after they do the photo thing, I'm like, we yeah. already did. We already this. did this. It's like somebody <laughs> wrote, it's like they had multiple writers and they each came up with an idea and they couldn't pick one. We'll just do both. Luckily I will say, cause I thought what was going to happen originally was that the lockets were going to like, Oh, like joined together. Joined together somehow. And I was like, we literally just did this. They don't do that. They just have their initials on them or whatever. But it's a similar idea. And it's just like, yeah. why are we doing this twice? With like, Yeah, I thought the same thing. Uh, so in the movie, we do see like a montage of. You know what? Merchandising. Oh, you're right. I bet. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I don't not, remember. I don't know if they sold them, but. But I bet they did. Because if we don't know, I don't even think we ever see a close up, though, to be fair. But I, I would yeah. just never put past Disney like, no, like, no, you know, no, no, anytime no. they think they can sell a thing from a thing, <laughs> they're going to put it in there and they can't sell the picture. The picture is great. Just, it's a good story moment. Yeah. You can't sell, but you can't sell the picture. You can sell the lockets that look like they're lockets. I'm just going to check eBay <laughs> real quick. Oh, no exact matches. Interesting. So, yeah, I would have assumed. Yeah, I would have too. Huh. That that was why they did it, but maybe yeah, not. yeah. Guess not. Uh, yeah, like I, mean, I said, they, you know, if anybody remembers them selling like movie tie-in lockets back in the day, I just I have no memory of that. I think out of the two of us, I would be the one to have the memory of that. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't. Would not, I would not remember that at all. Um, so we see in the movie, there's like a montage of them like teaching each other to be the other girl which they they do in the book but they there's a couple of details that i think make a lot of sense in the book they make each other like cheat books 
with a bunch of information in them that they oh, can like yeah. take back with them. They also do a trial run while they're at camp in the oh, book to see if yeah, they that can, been fun. yeah, to see if they can actually fool people. Yeah, that would have been fun because you could have done that and had them fail. That yeah. would have been a good situation to have them do it and like hijinks of them like messing up mm-hmm. without like at like low stakes messing up. That could have been fun. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that uh, Lottie does all of the like cooking and everything because her mom works a lot, uh, which becomes an issue when Lisa takes her place because Lisa does not know ah. how to cook. So we get like a classic uh, cooking disaster. cooking disaster. Yeah, which I think could have been a lot of fun yeah. in a movie like this. Uh, does another... she order takeout <laughs> <laughs> at the last minute and rush it in? No, no. she does not. Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting is that in the book, the twins managed to keep up this ruse for like weeks. Yeah. Um, I know I don't necessarily want the movie to do that. I think the pacing of the movie works fine. Yeah. But but I do think it's interesting and fun that they're able to like keep it going for that long. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see why the movie would change it to. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. you said, for pacing, because in the movie, it's like a week maybe that they. Yeah. It's not very long that they keep it up before that it all kind of you know, gets figured out or whatever, but yeah. Uh, my last note here is that I have always really hated the scene in the movie where she <laughs> lapses into French when she's angry. It doesn't seem like something a real person would do. Like maybe if her native tongue was French, sure, I would I would buy that. But I don't think that's supposed to be the case. Well, and the weirder thing is that do we even see her, do we see her speak French before that scene? I don't think so. That's the thing that's weird to me is that it feels like they should have set it up and maybe they did once and I'm just not remembering it. Like, I don't have a problem believing that she knows French because she's like a posh London girl. Yeah. Well, it's also, I think the bigger issue with that to me, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. But but the the scene to me is like very cringy. It's just weird, and the thing to me that that doesn't work for it is that it doesn't feel like it it, it falls in line with her character. Yeah, like because, like you said, she's like a posh London girl, but her her personality isn't really that. Yeah, she's not she's like a stuck up very, and she's very like reserved too. Yeah. well, and she's very like down to earth. She doesn't seem like a stuck up like obnoxious. Like no. she is very briefly kind, but even then, not really. Like. I guess you could say she is a little bit very briefly at the very beginning of camp or whatever, like when they first are having their interactions and she's like, you you don't have any class or whatever. Like mm-hmm. there's a little bit of that, but it drops like immediately and she just becomes like normal or whatever. And so I could see if she was like more obnoxious, like because like, I assume the idea is that she went to some finishing school and they taught her French yeah, or whatever, you know, at her, at her expensive London prep school or something. And so, like, and and it is, like, maybe, like, this idea that as part of this, she's not aristocracy, but, like, the upper class, like, upper crusty, like, British person, the people she's around occasionally speak, well, her mom speaks French all the time. Right. I guess that could be part of it. Her mom does, because her mom's in fashion, she works with French people a lot. We hear her mom speaking French quite a bit. Or, yeah. Uh, like, at least in one scene. And I guess I kind of buy it, but I, I don't disagree that it does feel a little weird that she would do that well because the movie plays it as like she's so upset and like overcome with emotion that she just starts speaking french yeah which i feel like she would just drop into a british accent yes i feel like (laughs) it's not something that you do with a language that's not like your native 
Maybe I'm wrong. I, I think I've seen that in other movies. I don't know how real it is, but the idea of certain types of people who do know a second language using it to, like, curse or whatever. Like, yeah. that's like a kind of a gag in movies sometimes. Right. And so I could see that being the idea. I, I The thing that makes more sense to me is she would just drop into a British accent. Yeah, she would, like, lose Lose the American accent, do the British accent, and he would be like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, that would make more sense than the French thing. But, yeah, I, I yeah, it didn't bother me much either way. But I can see what you're saying for sure. All right, let's find out what Katie thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. The opening uh, credit scene where we get the montage of the, the mom and dad getting married mm -hmm. way longer than I remembered. Yeah, it goes on forever. Yeah, uh, but I did like it. It's one of the better opening credit sequences I've seen in a while. Like, mm -hmm. if you're doing an opening credit sequence, at least have it be irrelevant things that I care. Yeah. Like, it's like it's telling story. It's <laughs> not I, just I like random like, shots. It was like a pretty good setup um, that was kind of like... I, like and, and I liked that it was composed of just like different little scenes from this and wasn't like a whole scene in and of itself. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. There's some weird bits in the book that the movie drops where the adults that are running the camp try to like force the girls to be friends because they look alike. <laughs> That's a normal thing. That's for a normal to thing do. for grownups to do. You guys look like they're you guys like, should be friends. Yeah, that's basically it. They're like, like the person running the camp is like, make them sit together. They look alike. They have to be friends. And I'm like, in my notes, I have, but why? <laughs> like five different times. Why do you care? Um, there's also a, a girl at camp, at the camp in the book named Steffi. Whose main character trait is being chubby. Um, every time Steffi is mentioned, it is noted mm. that she's chubby. Yeah. Which is is a thing in children's lit in general, and yes. it's especially a thing in older children's lit. Doesn't even have to be that old though. Yeah. No, it really doesn't have, <laughs> no, to, be. It doesn't have to be. Um drove me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we get it. She's yeah. she's got chubby cheeks. She's carrying a little extra weight. We understand. Yep. <laughs> the mom's name in the book is Lisa Lottie. And I I need to know, I know we have some German listeners. Uh, yeah, I think we do, yeah. Does this work better in German? Because I don't feel like it works at all <laughs> in English. Um, is Lisa Lottie like a, a name? And I don't, I, I, I don't couldn't know. Even begin to tell you so. um, there's also a great line from one of the girls um, <laughs> while they're talking about how their parents split them up. I don't remember who says it, but she says, they separated us just the same as they separated mommy's first name. <laughs> that's also really weird. Yeah. Like if that's your first name, just splitting it and getting yeah, it half is pretty weird. It's very strange. Um, I adored the movie's decision to add the girl's maternal grandfather to the mix. Yeah, he fun. does not appear in the book. I thought that was really nice. I like the little scene where Annie doesn't know how to open the door in Hallie's house. Yeah, she's like, she's like, like yeah. Her, yeah. <laughs> Jesse's like, push, Hal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also love the scene where their mom is freaking out while she's packing to go to America. 
I think that making the plot overall more focused on getting the parents back together works a lot better than what happens in the book. Um, the book, I think, feels a little bit like aimless and coincidental close to the end. Whereas in the movie, right, first we have this kind of driving force of like, let's switch places so we can meet the other parent. And they do mention while they're talking about that, that like, oh, and then they'll have to switch us back and they'll right. see each other again. Um, but then once this ruse is discovered, the main like driving force becomes let's try to get our parents back together. Yeah. Um, whereas in the book. <laughs> so the mom finds out because she happens to see a photo of them that was taken together at the camp. And then she's like, hey, I know everything. We're going to go to your dad's. And then when they get there, the other kid is really, really sick. Oh. And that's. That's where, yeah. Just kind of how how the book ends. Right. And it, it just feels a little like aimless. Yeah. At kind the of end. Yeah, kind of anticlimactic. Whereas I think like the movie's decision to then like shift the focus to let's try to set up our parents yeah. works a little better. Mm -hmm. um, the camping trip is not in the book, as I mentioned. So here's a list of things that I like from that part. Um, non exhaustive. I, I like the lizard uh, on the water bottle and on her head. I did feel bad for the lizard. I hated the part where it goes in her mouth because it's dumb. I liked the rest of it, but the part where it runs down her face into her mouth, it's just, it's like, what? Lizard would never do that, for one. I, fine. I, mean, I get it. I get it. It's, you know, it's a gag in a kid's movie. I'm fine. But it's, I don't know. It's just weird. I thought that whole, the part where it goes in her mouth, didn't like that. Cut the rest, just leave the rest of it. Just <laughs> cut the part where it, like, climbs into her mouth head first, and then we're fine. It just felt, it just felt weird. I felt like I was like, what am I watching this for? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Like, it just felt like somebody, I was, like, watching somebody's thinly veiled fetish is what I felt like. Uh, is what it felt like, that moment. I was like, why is this in the movie? I don't know. Just weird. Uh, I liked when Meredith is clacking the sticks together to scare off mountain lions. Yes. Um, although we both in that part, because then Nick is like, there aren't any mountain lions here. Yeah. And we both, like, turn to each other and we're like, there are probably, probably mountain, mountain lions. Probably mountain lions. You're in California. They're, and they're not far from, like, the Sierra Nevada. They're in the mountains like, in California. Yeah. I'm pretty there's, sure they're there's mountain, mountain lions. There's mountain lions there. I already talked about the air mattress. Uh, and then I, I really like the moment where Meredith is like, it's me or them. Take your pick. And he's and the dad is just like, them like immediately that's yeah. yeah like it's not even a question yeah that is nice yeah um and it's a little cheesy but i i really enjoy the fake out at the end where you think that they're all separating again but then hallie and nick are just in england ahead of them somehow not somehow they took the concord I, whatever a thing that, that is doesn't exist anymore and i think that might have been the last time that you could even what, I think the what is it stopped is it flying in 1999 I is think. it like a fast airplane the concord was a uh a supersonic jetliner oh that it started flying in the 60s and stopped flying in 2003 mm. Uh, but it, it's it's basically a super. It was like a rocket powered plane, basically, kind of. Uh, it was very interesting. But you could you could get from. I feel the, like that's not cheap. 
No, no, it's not cheap. <laughs> it was one, he's a millionaire, so that's right. part of it. But yeah, it flies super fast. I'm trying to remember how fast. Yeah, so the Concorde could make the trip from, because it traveled at like Mach 2, which is mm-hmm. over twice the speed of sound, which is not. Um, uh, commercial airliners don't even get to Mach 1. <laughs> they do not break <laughs> the sound barrier. Uh, it could get from London to New York in around three hours. Hmm. So assuming, it, I don't know if it flew out of, California. I don't know where all it flew from, but add another maybe hour tops to right. that. So they could get there in half the time, hmm. if not less than a traditional. I do kind of want to take the screen craps from that scene and like use the dialogue from the end of the Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> the map. <laughs> like, the, how did you get there before us? By all rights, it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. All right, we got a handful of things that the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Um, just a couple things. They do meet at summer camp. I, we've talked about that extensively. Uh, Hallie slash Lisa is rude to Annie slash Lottie, like right off the bat for not any particular reason. Yeah. Uh, just kind of doesn't like her. She stole her face. To be fair, in the movie, they're not only rude to each other after the duel. They're that's not true. really rude yeah. before that. They're I mean, they rude don't after they meet fight each, each other. other. That's what I mean. That. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's their first interaction and they they have like a <laughs> Um and yeah. then I want to talk about the the crossed arms and fingers thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, so we see the both of both the girls do this a couple times during yeah. the movie where they cross fingers on both hands and then cross their arms in front of their chest. Yeah. Now, first, they also do just the crossed fingers. Yes. When they're lying or yes. whatever, yeah. Um, so there is an illustration in this book that shows one of the girls, she has her fingers double crossed and then she has her arms crossed, but she kind of is like raising her arms up in the air. Mm -hmm. She doesn't do it like over her chest. Um, so now those illustrations were done in the eighties. So it's possible that that is from the 1960s movie. I don't know for sure. Yeah. But also, as soon as I saw them do that, I had like a memory blast (laughs) because I forgot about it. And we used to do that all the time Really, in elementary school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We did the double cross, triple cross all the time. And I had completely forgotten about it. It's a girl thing. I think think it absolutely probably (laughs) was a girl thing. Because I don't remember doing that like ever. (laughs) I mean, we all also wanted to be Hallie and Annie. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, we got a handful of odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. Um, I really love how effectively the girls' personal styles at the beginning of the movie communicate who they are. Even if Annie's matching suit and kitten heels are like a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but we've got like, we meet Hallie and she's dressed in like a very laid back kind of like tomboyish, like hippie style. And then Annie steps out of the car in like <laughs> Chanel. Yeah. I don't yeah. even know. Yeah. Looking very, <laughs> yeah. very dapper. Um, and then later on she wears like a miniature pale blue pantsuit, <laughs> which is really something. Yeah, it really is. So this is a thing I noticed on this watch that I obviously didn't notice when I was a little kid watching this movie, and I haven't seen this since I was a little kid, but is, and I, I was interested to see if you caught this or thought this or knew anything about this, is 
Hallie, like, canonically gay, like a lesbian <laughs> or bi or whatever in this movie? Like, is she canonically queer? Because there are several, th- like, it's not just, like, one thing. There's, like, mm-hmm. at least three moments that made me think this over the course of the movie. One of them is when, she, and it, this, the first one was, like, whatever, and then it, things kept adding up. The first one, though, was when they get to camp and her bag is stuck in the big pile of bags. Yeah. She can't get it out. And this other girl walks up and walks over and rips her bag out from the bottom and, like, starts walking away. And Hallie says, oh, that's my kind of lady. And she says it like like a yeah. oh, hubba hubba kind of thing, which, again, on its own, could be a little joke or whatever. Fine. Then there's a scene later where they're, that girl is then, like, riding on Hallie's back. She's giving her a piggyback ride, which, again, on its own, not whatever. Like, friends give friends piggyback rides. Not that weird. Or anything, or not not weird, but you know, it's not that it doesn't necessarily mean anything. But and then in in the end of that scene, uh, she calls Hallie babe, which again, uh-huh. none of these things independently are like mean anything necessarily. <laughs> but those, I was like, okay, what, really? And then the final thing, which I thought was the biggest point to me, was that when they get to the cabin, mm-hmm. the isolation cabin, Hallie is like pinning pictures and stuff yeah, up like on her magazine wall cutouts. yeah and like most of them are women right there's like a couple dudes but most, most of them most are women. notably leonardo dicaprio yes which they mentioned specifically yes but most of them are it's like a lot of women that she yeah. has pinned up on the wall and i was like and then i did it some googling and i found some tumblr posts that were very adamant that she is in fact <laughs> into women but i didn't i was like huh i don't yeah um so i wanted to get your your take on this i would say i don't i wouldn't call it canon no i would um, agree when i was kind of joking and especially when I not like for a kids movie in 1998 yeah i think I, it's a it's a fun like it, i think it's a popular fan theory i, I think the the move the filmmakers were even I, and that's possible. Like, I don't. I don't know it. if any of the filmmakers have ever like confirmed right, like that that's anything? what they yeah. were doing. I think it's entirely possible. Okay, but I don't know. Yeah, it just really stuck out to me because it was like again, if it was just one of those things, like yeah, whatever. But it kept there's like multiple things that kept adding up to the point where I'm like, I wonder if they're like if that's what they're doing, like very slyly. Yeah, maybe the, like trying to sneak <laughs> it in underneath. Uh, you know. Uh, behind Walt Disney's back. I don't know. <laughs> he was dead at this point, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting. But his ghost lives on. <laughs> and one thing I noticed in like the final big prank scene um, where Hallie and her friends uh, mess up their cabin while Annie and her friends are sleeping, I was like, boy, all the other girls in this cabin really became collateral damage here. Yeah. Like, they are way more pranked than Annie is in this scene. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> like, like, they dump honey all over one girl or yep. something, and, like, the other girl, they put, like, shaving cream all over her head. Yeah. Like, way more pranked. Well, they do drop all those water balloons on Yeah, Annie. I guess so. Yeah. But, like, initially, she sits up in bed, and there's just, like, nothing wrong with yeah. her. Yeah, it's fine. And then she gets sticky feet. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then her her toes squelch in the molasses, which apparently, <laughs> apparently took a really long, took time, a really long to time, time to film. Yeah. Uh, so the one of the things I thought was very funny in this is that they're in the isolation cabin, they're bonding together, and one of the ways they bond is that 
Hallie or one of them pulls out a bag of Oreos and is like, you want some Oreos? And they're like, oh, yeah, I love Oreos. And then the other one is like, oh, but I'm weird. I, you probably everybody thinks this is gross, but I like eating my Oreos with peanut butter. And they're like, the other one's like, so do I. And I'm like, wait, who thinks that's gross? <laughs> who thinks putting peanut butter on Oreos is gross? I get being like, I'm the only one I know who does it. Right. But not gross. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it, it's, it's chocolate and peanut butter. Yeah. That's a- Pretty common combination. Yeah, I just thought the idea of calling it gross was weird. I'm like, I don't think anybody would say it's gross. Like, I don't normally put peanut butter on my Oreos. I just eat them by right. myself. But I would never be like, that's gross. No. I'd just be like, yeah. I have to be like, mm, cool. Yeah. Sure. Uh, and we knew we were not getting out of this movie without some of that patent 90s commentary on divorce. Which, what scene in particular? When they're in the cabin and they're talking. This is like right before they realize that they're sisters, I think. Um, and one of them is talking about how, like, horrible it is <laughs> to have divorced parents. And they're yeah. like, I don't think anyone should should get divorced <laughs> yeah. because it's so hard to right. not have one of your parents, which, I, you well, know, I'm not saying fair, it's not. Coming from a kid, I, yeah. like, I don't know how much of it's the movie is saying that's true versus the movie voicing the perspective of a child. Right. You know what I mean? No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not denying that. Um, I'm just putting this film within context right. yes. of uh, the the general oeuvre in the 90s was, because yeah. this this was like this was a big thing. Yeah. In oh the no, 90s. we talked about like, it in yeah, the Santa Claus. We, we talked about the Santa we Claus. We talked about it probably when in Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. As well. Yeah. The worst thing that could happen to you as a kid in the 90s yes. was for your parents to get divorced. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we, I have a little bit of notes about this later that we'll talk about, about like how they did the, the, the twin stuff. But there's one scene in particular that I could not figure out. Mm. I think it's just green screen. But there's a scene when they get to the cabin or when they're in the cabin right before they pull the photos out and like do the like show each other the photos. There's a scene where they're both like walking past each other mm-hmm. that looks so good that I don't know how they did it. At first, I thought it was a split screen, but then they walk past each other. So I, I was like, no, it can't be. But it didn't look like a green screen, but it must have been. It yeah. must have been a green screen. I just was astonished that it looked as good as it did. I don't know how they did it. That one scene, every other time I could tell how they mm-hmm. were doing it. That scene, I was like, holy cow. It was like really impressive. Um, it was impressive all the time because you really couldn't tell. Yeah, mostly. it was pretty good. Yes, and we'll talk about how they did it a little bit more. But in particular, that scene, I was like, I that is wild. Um, a small note here about the ear piercing scene. It's such a dull needle. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it is. She holds up this giant needle, and it's, it's got like a knitting it's needle. got the bluntest point <laughs> yeah. that I've ever seen in my life yeah, on it. I was like, oh, that's gonna hurt. Yeah. There's a little scene where they get to London, or when Hallie gets to London pretending to be Annie, and we get mm-hmm. like a montage of her like riding around seeing the sights. Yeah. I don't understand why in this scene so many of the sights we see are just random statues. I don't know. It's not like we do see some of the big landmarks, right. but like I don't 
when I think of London, I don't think of just like random Statuary. statues. Like that's not <laughs> like if you if you're going to Rome, sure. like sure, yeah. like or whatever. I don't know. It's just like London. I'm not like oh the statue capital of the world, but like half the shots they show is just some random statue of some person. At least they didn't play London Calling during yeah. that scene. Yeah, I did see a great. I don't know if you retweeted this or a great cut an edit of that scene. Uh-uh. Somebody edited. I think it's that scene. Where, and maybe it's a different movie, but I'm pretty sure it's that scene where somebody edited that scene together with a scene from James Bond Goldeneye where James Bond steals a tank and is driving it around (laughs) a city. I think he's in like Munich or Prague or something, but... And I thought it was that scene and they like splice it together of like her like looking at stuff and then like... The tank, like, I think it's <laughs> if you that. Find that again. Send I'll see it if to I can me. find that tweet. I thought it was. <laughs> I this did movie. not see that. It might have been a different movie. But I thought it was this. Anyways, I'll see if I can find it. It also really annoys me in London that they do the Abbey Road thing. Oh, I hated this. I hated. I don't it. mind doing it, but like, fine, have them do the like whatever. Sure, but they freeze frame it. Yeah. One, we already got it. We don't need right. to freeze frame it. Two. If you're going to freeze frame it, at least shoot it at a speed where you can freeze frame it or take a picture and then put the picture in the movie. They freeze frame the movie, but it's because they're shooting at like 24 frames per second or whatever. It just they're blurry. Right. They're like mid step. So they're blurry. And it looks that's not what it looks like. (laughs) It's a photo. Like if you're going to do it, at least do it right. It just really annoyed me that they again, just have them walk across. We all get it. Kids aren't going to recognize it either way. So it doesn't matter for the kids. Just whatever. Uh, Yeah. Drove me crazy. Uh, And then her mom, uh, who we get to see what some of her mom does. Uh, and she designs wedding dresses, as we mm. discussed. But we see one client that she's working with, or a model, maybe. I, don't, I think it was a model for yeah, like a photo for shoot, for a photo shoot or something. And they're like, "This the dress is missing something." And then they figure out what it's missing, and what it's missing apparently is a top hat with a veil, <laughs> a white top hat with a veil. And I was like, "Oh no." <laughs> I assure you that is not what it was missing. <laughs> it's very 90s. Very, yeah. It's, was, it's giving Shania Twain. It's giving Madonna, yeah, yeah. Shania Twain for sure. It just, ugh, oof. <laughs> oof. I know that it's been said to death, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, but the custody arrangement in this story is insane. Yeah. It's bonkers. It's Imagine being the judge. <laughs> agreed to this custody there's arrangement. no way there was a judge no. involved well, I, mean, I <laughs> they, they feel just like did this on their own but if they but like if they got officially divorced wouldn't they have to I, you would think. have like a yeah, legal custody arrangement because yeah. i feel like divorced. i feel like if if they if i were the judge and they came to me with this proposition like, like, <laughs> no what is wrong would, with you i would be calling child yes. protective services yeah. be like these people are crazy yeah Absolutely not. No, you cannot take your children to opposite continents and then not tell them about each other. No. What? No. I'm amazed that you even thought you could, you thought I would say yes to this. No. Yeah. I also realized, I didn't realize when we were watching, like, initially, when we were talking about the movie and the prequel and stuff, that the mom, Natasha Richardson, I I didn't, I, like, knew her from this movie only. She's mm-hmm. been in a bunch of stuff. 
Um, but I was Googling, when we were watching the movie, I clicked on her thing because I was like, what else do I know her from anything else? And then I realized what I knew her from. She was married to Liam Neeson and she uh, very famously died in a skiing yeah, accident. Yeah, very, very tragically. Yeah, like yeah. tragically died in a skiing accident. She like accident. hit her head and then died the next morning. Yeah, I did not yeah. realize that was her. Like yeah. I did not realize that, like I, I obviously saw this movie when I was a kid, but I never connected those, like, because mm -hmm. I, I heard about that when it happened, you know, back in the early 2000s or whatever. I think it was like 2008 it was or like something. It was like 2008 or 2009, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I remember hearing about that, but did not connect that that was this actress. Like, I just didn't realize. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. I saw something. Um, I was looking something up about this movie uh, that her son watches this movie because he said it was like the closest to how she was in real life. Like, he likes watching this yeah. movie because of huh. that, which is really that's sweet nice. and yeah, sad. That's really nice. We talked a little bit about Dennis Quaid. <laughs> In real yeah. life now, because my note here says I don't know how Dennis Quaid is sucks. in real life. I think, I think he, he sucks. sucks too. But uh, Tim, he was the hot dad blueprint in this movie. <laughs> I just hot dad blueprint. Yeah, no, I mean, I yeah, I get it for sure, absolutely. Uh, th there's the scene when they do the the dinner, the mm -hmm. fake dinner on the boat. They're uh, uh, the the butler and Chessie are both there. Martin and Chessie are both there, like serving them dinner. And Lisa and Walter in that like naval outfit, yeah, was working. It was working for me. She looks good. It was working. There's also this throwaway line when they're doing that dinner. They're joking about when they broke up, and they're like, "Ha ha, you threw a blow dryer at my face." And I'm like, "That's yeah, that's funny." That's hilarious. Casual, hilarious, spousal abuse. Yep. Hilarious. <laughs> so funny. Uh, and then also when they're, I think it's during, I don't remember what's, it might be at the hotel. Or I don't I remember. I think this where, was when they were camping. Oh, it wasn't is. It? It's right. Yeah. It's when they're going camping. Uh, we get, oh, yeah, it's right. Because they turn it on the radio. Yeah. Yeah. They turn on the radio at one point and uh, how bizarre it's yeah. playing. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, it That's, really. That song was on the radio all the time. Oh my gosh. All the Constantly. time. Yeah. And then it vanished. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, that, I mean, that's a true one hit wonder right there. Uh, what's his name? OEM, or I can't remember what that, that artist's name was, but it, uh, holy cow, that song is OMC. Yeah. How bizarre. That song was on the radio at least once, like every time we got in the car oh, in that area. That was in like that era. one of the, the, the biggest song in the world for like a year or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so this is a thing that I wanted to talk about. Didn't know where else to put it, so I stuck it in here. So I, there's something that happens in the book that I feel like was a huge missed opportunity for both the book and the movie. So in the book, while they're at camp, there's a girl there who goes to school with Lisa, with the Hallie character. And so she's there while they're at camp, and then she just, like, vanishes from the story. And then at the end of the story, like, at the very end, when Lottie starts going to the same school as Lisa, she pops up again. <laughs> and she's like, and we find out that the twins, like, bribed her to keep quiet about the whole thing. And I was like, why... Did we not know more about this? Like, yeah. I feel like that should have been more of a plot point. Like, that could have been a good, like, obstacle. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't do anything with it. 
Yeah, I, it probably makes sense to drop it for the movie's case then. If because I mean, yeah, unless you're going to do something with it. And it's right. Just, well, I, I mean, I'm just saying. Already like, too, it, so. yeah, that's true. If as long as we're like adapting, like I feel like if I were adapting this book, that would be something that I would look at and be like, I feel like I could do something yeah. with this. Yeah, for sure. You definitely, you know, could. but the book doesn't do anything with it. So yeah. And then finally, before we get to the wrap of this up, the uh, I talking about how they did the two Lindsay Lohans mm. um, primarily like they what they use some split screening, but actually a lot less than I thought they were going to. Yeah. Uh, they use a lot of body doubles whenever yes. you see like the back of yeah. her head. It's a, a body double, but they do a ton of green screening, which I wasn't expecting um, where they, yeah. and they, it looks pretty good. And it looks really good. Yeah. I will say you can usually tell by the lighting. Mm -hmm. You can usually tell that the lighting, cause they'll be right next to each other and the light will be hitting one of them in one way and the other one slightly different. That being said, other than like some of the highlights and stuff, the color matching and stuff looks almost identical and mm -hmm. it looks really good. And some points is to some point where I couldn't tell if they were doing a split screen or a green screen. Um, and so, yeah, I, but th those are the main three ways is they use a body double when you see the back of her or for certain scenes like that, um, where, where you're not seeing their face. It's just mm -hmm. somebody that looks like her from behind or from the side. Yeah. Somebody wearing a wig, either wearing a wig or just another girl, yeah. who has whatever. And then, um, I think it is a wig. It did look like a wig. It did a look like a wig. Yeah. And then this, uh, and then the green screening. Yeah. It's just, they film her in front of a green screen and then composite her into mm -hmm. the shot basically and then yeah split screening on some of it well how does split screening work i think that's the only thing that i don't really know how it yeah works. so i mean they, there's a couple ways to do it and there's more complicated ways which i think might have been what they were doing for some of them i mean the the basic gist of it and it boiled down to its simplest is literally just um which you've seen you'll see this in some movies for certain effects and stuff um beyond twin stuff but most commonly where they're doing like twin things with somebody who's not a twin if your camera is sitting there and it's not moving, mm -hmm. it you you can record. You can have her stand on one side of the frame, deliver her lines, mm -hmm. then walk over to the other side of the frame, deliver her lines, and then you literally just if because the camera hasn't moved, right? You just as long as neither one of them crosses whatever the midpoint is, and it doesn't have to be exactly in the middle. You can put that line kind of wherever you want. Basically, you just it's two different pieces of video running simultaneously but edited together like split down right. the middle and then like spliced together yes essentially split down the middle together okay and then so like you're seeing you know this one uh, uh, part a was recorded a few minutes before part b mm -hmm. and then you just put them together i gotcha um I will say I don't think they did that nearly as much as I was expecting them to because that's like the old traditional way to do it. Yeah. Uh, to do this, they used a lot more green screen than I thought they would because green screen is often easy to tell. But they, like I said, they did a really good job where you couldn't. It was noticeable enough to me, but I know how to see that stuff. Like right. I edit video and I edit green screen stuff a lot, so like it's not hard for me to like be able to tell that. Um, but. But like, if you don't particularly yes, know what to look for. if you don't know what to look for, I think it was very easy to miss. Because, um, like I said, there were even moments where I was like, is this green screen? Is this, what is, how are they doing this? Um, but the other thing that they could do, like, the thing that, just to go off on a tangent on a little bit, that's really cool, is what you can do with split screening these days 
with modern cameras, you can get really involved with it because with like motion controlled cameras and stuff, mm -hmm. you can. So originally you would always do it with like a locked down camera that wasn't moving because if you move it all, then right, the background yeah, won't line it's up. Gonna be messed up. It won't line up. So you'll be able to tell that they're <laughs> it's mismatched. So you just wouldn't move the camera. You would start rolling. You would do half of it, do the second half and then fix it later in post. Nowadays with like super um, specific like uh calibrated like motion control cameras that are like ro robotic or whatever you can actually do camera movements and still split screen it mm. because the camera can recreate the movement so perfectly mm -hmm. that you can you can still match it up Interesting. basically um and because one of the other things you can do is to hide it is if you can if you do if you sh which i've done this before on certain things certain like small short video projects and stuff you can shoot a split screen shot like that locked down and then in post in, in post production, you can add fake movement to the camera to make it look like it's uh -huh. like handheld. Yeah. Cause that, that'll help trick the eye even right. more. Cause you're like, well, they can't have done a split screen cause the camera's moving. Like, how are they? So you can add fake movement to it. But again, the step beyond that is motion controlled cameras that can perfectly recreate the same movement twice. So you can do the scene twice with a camera actually moving. Mm -hmm. um, and that's actually spoilers. If you don't want to know how Darren Brown uh, did his, uh, who's a magician. He did a lottery prediction one time. And from everything I have read, uh, like in real time, like a Powerball prediction from everything I have read, the way he did that was split screen motion control camera. They basically, I don't want to, I don't know the whole details and I, I don't know. It's been a long time since I read about it, but he basically used a motion controlled camera to recreate the same, same shot twice. And he was able to hide half of the screen where somebody was like, as the numbers were coming out and being announced, somebody was hiding that was replacing the numbers. Basically it looked like the, it looked like he had like the power balls already set up on a stage, uh -huh. like sitting there. And, um, and then he just turns them around and they're the right number. And it's like, holy cow, he predicted the Powerball mm -hmm. because he was doing it live, like as the Powerball was happening that night or whatever. But apparently what was actually happening is it was all motion controlled and they were replacing the half with the balls with a pre-shot like thing that that was just the ball sitting there when actually somebody was changing the balls to whatever they actually were. Oh. It's a whole thing. It's very interesting. But anyways, I'm not sure I understand what it's you're very saying. I'm doing a bad job to explain it because it's very complicated and involved. But that was the thing that made me think of the motion control split mm -hmm. screening because I was like, I'm into magic and I like magic stuff. So I remember that supposedly that's how he did that trick because nobody could figure out for a long time how the heck he did that because it was like incredibly impressive. But um, I think it was motion controlled split screen. But anyways. All right, before we wrap up, we can do us a giant favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, any of the social media platforms follow us give us a like we're going to announce what our next thing is here in a moment but if you get over to those social platforms now you still have a couple days to vote yes uh we're, we're doing a poll we're doing a, a march madness bracket like we did last year if you want to ha be involved in what the next thing we talk about is go over to any of those social media platforms not goodreads we're not doing polls there i don't but i don't think you can yeah facebook twitter and instagram or on patreon if you're on patreon uh and vote and uh i think we're we'll when you're listening to this, we'll be on the final four, maybe, or five polls, e three polls. Well, it's, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll be have gotten to the final four, basically. You'll be able to vote on, like, the final mm -hmm. um, 
two matchups or whatever. So uh, go do that. We really appreciate it. Plus, we want to hear your feedback for the prequel episode. You can also support us by hanging over to patreon.com slash this film is lit. Give us a few bucks a month, get access to bonus content. And at the $15 and up level, you get access to priority recommendations. Was this one? Yes, it was. Oh, who was this one from? This was a patron request from Matilde. There you go. Thank you, Matilde. Appreciate it a lot. Katie, it's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. Like many other children's books that we've covered... Parent Trap takes the basic premise of Lisa and Lottie and expands on it. The book was cute and I had fun reading it, but I definitely think I would have liked it more had I read it when I was in the target audience's age range. The storytelling style is also dated in a way that is specific to mid-century children's lit, where the plot ends up feeling a little low stakes and somewhat meandering. The movie I remember quite fondly from my own childhood, and I was not disappointed upon revisiting it. The story still works, the entire cast is charming, and I still kind of believe that Lindsay Lohan might secretly have a twin. When making changes to the original story, the movie made several good calls, the best of which were honing in the focus on getting the parents back together, expanding Meredith's character into a full-on central villain, and showing more of the parents interacting and being clearly still in love with each other. And it's primarily for those reasons that I'm going to give this one to the movie. All right, there you go. Katie, what's next? Well, like you said, we are running our March Madness bracket mm-hmm. with a bunch of movies all based on the legend of Robin Hood. Yeah. Yes. So at this point, if you're listening to this when it comes out, uh, a lot of the brackets done, but we I, at the very We're like least half ish way through the bracket. Yeah, at the very at least, point. we'll be on the final four. Yes. Uh, so you'll still be able to vote for like the winner of the whole thing. Um, if you're listening to this and you go join us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you'll be you'll be able to get in there and vote for the final couple matchups, which will you know determine what actually wins. Uh, and then for if we have not announced this, whatever is the runner up, we will be doing that as our bonus episode mm-hmm. uh, for the month of April. For March. March. Uh, yeah. On uh, on Patreon. So if you want to listen, whatever the runner up is, we'll be doing that on mm-hmm. as a bonus episode on Patreon. So support us for five bucks on Patreon and you can listen to that. That's going to do it for this episode. Come back in one week's time. We're talking about uh, we're doing the prequel. Uh, we'll be talking about what you all had to say about the parent trap previewing whichever movie of Robin Hood that we're uh, <laughs> that we're doing because we don't know yet. And whichever book or not, whichever book. We'll be we'll be previewing the Merry Adventures of yes, Robin the Hood. The Merry Adventures of Robin Hood. Uh, but until that time, guys, gals, not binary pals, everybody else. Keep reading books, watching movies, and, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome.